0: I will be reading um, from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, and verses 24 through 27. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Ezekiah, and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? When Saul and the Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And I praise God um, for Pastor Omari and Pastor Kim, who, uh, Josh Kim, who preached the last couple of weeks and continued um, <clears throat> through this sermon series in First Samuel appreciate them um, and appreciate this church and the continuing ministry that goes on even in this COVID crisis, um, especially with what's been going on in our nation. As a diverse church, as a multi-ethnic church, um, we have some peculiar challenges between us. Um, and I just praise God that, um, you know, in the middle of all this, there is there, a lot of exhaustion for me. For those in leadership who are dealing with this, um, I have some denominational um, commitments um, to to care for. Kelly and I both are nationally working through these issues with our denomination. It's just a lot going on. So I appreciate opportunities to rest, an opportunity to take a break um, um, from um, having to preach every week. And praise God for the, the preaching rotation that we do have at Christ Central Church. But um, as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Samuel, last week, Pastor Amari, in a powerful sermon, introduced us to our new lead man in this book, David, Jesse's youngest son, most unassuming son, who has been chosen by God in a privately ordained worship. Privately ordained situation, ordained service done by Samuel the prophet to be the next king of Israel to replace the present and troubled King Saul. Which brings us to chapter 17, which, look, as far as the Bible is a top five, right? It's blueprint, it's the chronic, it's illmatic, it's life after death. It's all eyes on me level story, right? Of David and Goliath. Because this story is unsurpassed in its drama and display of facing and overcoming impossible circumstances and obstacles in our lives. In chapter 17, we see Israel under Saul's leadership. Once again, right, like many of us right now, in the middle of unrest and uncertainty in their country, facing a foe that they must, But at the same time, can't defeat. Israel, like many of us, find themselves paralyzed by uncertainty, right? By fear. With splintering thoughts on issues, right? By defeat, by anger, by lack of leadership. Stuck in between with no place to run, but no way to go forward. And so far, 2020 is all-in-your-face proof, if there ever was, that there are just some things that are too big to ignore. There are some things that are too big to get through and over by ourselves and in ourselves. So before we get to the beat-down, knock-down, Buster Douglas-level upset of the century, when David takes down Goliath, we're going to do that next week in part two, I want us to sit in the first half of this passage and ask, what is it that is so looming and big between you and me? You and me, neighbor, friend, church member, community member, and most importantly, what's between us, you and us, Lord, our God, our Savior, the one of our blessing, the one who gives us our dignity. Three things I want us to see today that stand between you and me. That first, sin is oppressive. Sin is oppressive. Secondly, Satan is active. And finally, salvation belongs to God alone. Sin is oppressive. Satan is active. And salvation belongs to God alone. This chapter opens up with a description of the geography of what's going on here. Verse 1 says this. Thank you, Amy, for getting us through those words, those long names. Um, we don't have too many communities with those names. Thank you. Um, now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, the Bible says. And they, it means they came for a fight, right? And they were gathered at Soca. Let's just call it that. Which belongs to Judah. And encamped between Soca and Ezekah and Ephes Daman. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped at the valley of Elah and drew up in line line of battle against the Philistines, which means they knew they had to be there, right? And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So this setting is like we saw the last time I preached when Jonathan attacked um, the outposts in in the story. I think that's chapter 14. And, and And they had this kind of large valley in the middle, right, with the two armies on either side. But this was not a neutral site, right? This was and should have been home field advantage of the Israelites, right? Uh, you should have had the home side and the wayside, and the middle is where the battle was going to be done. But verse 1 says that the Philistines gathered at Soka, which was where, the Bible tells us, in Judah. Let me tell you what that's like. That's like the United States going to battle with some world power, China or Russia, In us receiving a text alert that Chinese forces were gathered at the border of Colorado and Nevada, and that the US forces were facing them at the border of Nebraska. I mean, sorry, not Nevada, Nebraska. You would be like, how in the world did they get to Colorado? What happened to Nevada? What happened to California? What happened? You see, it was Israel's blessing To have the land all the way westward, right? To the Mediterranean Sea, right? So, So Israel was chosen by God to make his name and holiness famous in the world. To be and spread not only spiritual salvation, but blessings of God's justice and mercy and grace and love that come out of the gospel to the whole world. It is safe to say then that the Philistines standing in the way the way they did and then overtly challenging that represented sin's power, sin's oppression, sin's organizational and institutionalized sin, right? In the world as an entity that hates and takes from God's good and God's designed good for all humanity. Having moved into ancient Israel territory, uh, let me make that clear ancient. Israel territory, because I don't want to get into the present day Gaza Strip argument. This is not, this doesn't apply to that necessarily, okay? But moving into ancient Israel, really, territory like they did at this point in biblical history and purpose, it was telling us, and it meant that sin and its structures and its institution had come not only to suppress the mission of God's kingdom, but to be oppressive to all humanity and into the hearts and lives of God's people look at verse 4 where we left off it says and, and, and there came out from the camp remember they on one side the Philistines a champion he walked out into the valley named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span that means the dude was nine feet tall he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the height of the coat, excuse me, the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze and he had a bronze armor. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin, a bronze slung between his shoulders. Some people think it wasn't a javelin like we have a javelin in the Olympic games. It could have been a curved sword that he had on his back, right? And then it says that the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. Right? Understand this. Goliath coming out and saying what he was saying and even standing where he was standing, like he was standing, is declaring what? I, we stand in the way of God's promises and given dignity and humanity and love for you and the whole world. He stood as an affront, a defiance of of God's grace and glory. But Goliath was more than an individual. The way the armor is described, he is basically wearing the industry and power and seal, right? All the bronze and the iron, those were Philistine distinctives, right? They they cornered the market on those metals. So for him to stand in those things means that I am the embodiment of a well-planned and organized institution institutionalized philistine run sin machine goliath represented the heaviness right this stuff he's wearing y'all if i break down the weights to you this stuff is ridiculously heavy right He, he he represented the heaviness the the weight and pressure of overt hatred of god and god's ways and and those who have and could receive god's blessings His armor and weaponry and swag were a public, right? Outward display of corporate and national and institutional pagan industry of Philistine. Hear me, inward religion. Like the priest who wore the ephod, the Israeli priest who wore the ephods with the stones on them before God, representing the tribes of Israel, being close to the heart of God. Goliath was clothed. In pounds and pounds of Philistine, worldly, fallen, and oppressive weaponry designed to take down the Lord and in doing so kill, dehumanize, and destruct God given dignity and destiny. That's what he represented. He was out there to enslave and shackle the Israelites and their faith now when it comes to sin and sinful conspiracy in fighting the power and institutions sinful most christians right most of you evangelicals most of us evangelicals like good protestants we are ready and all too willing to call overtly sinful folks and things broken sinners sinful fallen worldly carnal all kinds of things and that would be accurate People without the Lord as their God are not only oppressed by sin, but actively oppress and suppress others, right? But this Bible, this, and this story, it's not primarily for or about the Philistines and the sinful world. This story has with the whole Bible, is primarily written to and for believers in dealing with the oppressive sin and sinfulness of God's people, right? Of God's church, which are often passive sins of omission and neglect of what God has said and commanded. If we look back at Goliath's description, it's so easy to miss what's going on here, Right? <sighs> When he comes out all big, all armored, you, you, know what an Israel, you know what Israel must ask as they see this? And as we read this passage as, as, as believers, you know, as we look back at Israel as an example of, of sorts, how in the world did this nine foot plus tall giant grow up and out of Gath and is standing all big and bold between us and our blessing? You see, Gath was a city state of the Philistines that the Israelites had already conquered, right? If we go back in the text, but apparently they let the Philistines have it back. And so Goliath was not just the personification of Philistine power, but he was a manifestation of God's people's negligence in failing to love God and neighbor like God had called them to. And so year after year of, of sinful neglect, neglect of God's people uh, failing, failing to trust the Lord. And boom, here he is, a full-grown, undetected Goliath, a champion, because Israel lost their grip on God's grace and power they were called to over time. Understand that for the Philistines to be able to take back Gath, where Goliath grew up and then moved into Judah meant there was serious neglect. Not only of God's word and mandate to take the land, we, we can get that easily, but guess what else y'all? This is what we miss so often, especially we who are Bible believing evangelical types, right? But selfish neglect of love, for their own people. We talked about this a few sermons back, but, but God's people failed to protect, right? To, to put protection for those on the edges who are living in Judah and near gath they failed to be motivated by and to to show tangible love and be present for those living in the boundaries and and sort of pushed against the borders of humanity and justice who were in risk of being swallowed up by the philistine machine god's people failed to go and then stay and fight for the souls and lives of those who were the most at risk who were in danger of being lost, of being consumed by sin and brokenness. God's people failed to champion the cause of God in securing those on the west side of the kingdom as important to the glory and good of God, to make sure those folk on the west side knew in the face of Philistine, uh, Philistines coming towards them to know that God was with them by standing and then continuing to stand for and with them. Now, let me tell you, with Judah being on the west side, I looked at the map. They're right next to the Philistines, right? Like like where the Philistines would be pushing from. It would take more courage, more resources, extra, like more deaths possibly to secure them because they were right next to the Philistines. But this lack of action on their behalf of their own tribes, y'all, their own people and their conditions let a Goliath situation arise out of this thing to stand between them. What am I saying? What is the scripture teaching? Goliath is result, lack of love of neighbor, especially our brothers and sisters living on the edge. And as much as it was a lack of love and obedience to God, now we get, love and obedience to God we need to follow the commandments but we don't get is you know why we follow and, and love God God says it's connected it, it's the caboose to God's glory train right you got to love your neighbor it comes with your salvation it comes with your belief system especially our brothers and sisters right right on the edge and, and that lack that neglect of loving our loving spiritually emotionally and socially those at risk and broken neighbors is called Not neglect, not blind spot, right? It's called sin, right? Omissive and permissive sin. When you know, when you hear the story of the Good Samaritan and the first few people that passed by, they weren't just passing by, they sinned. Why are there so many oppressed people in this world, in our nation, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our families and and under the weight and oppression of sin and even in God's church? Why are we more segregated on Sunday than our neighborhoods and workplaces and are divided by faith ethnically? More often than not between the privileged and at risk. Why are there parts of our church and the community in the church is connected to, to, you know, to the oppressed and in bondage and overrun? Why is there so much hate and inequity in that? Since the formation of our country uh, you know, by so-called believers right you know we're a christian nation right everybody i hear people say that we're built on christian principles then why is the church oppressed why are church people feeling oppressed in their own churches in their own denomination by the churches in their communities how could this ever happen why are we now feeling pushed back on the corner? Why is the world saying, "Church, give us an answer"? Church, change your ways. Why, do we, you know, hey, right now we feel a lot of pressure to give an answer. We're pressured by people of different races. We're pressured by the whole uh, Black Lives Matter uh, movement. We're pressured by all these things. We're in a corner, just like Israel. You know why? Because of our sin of omission. You know, it's funny how many say, again, this nation was built on Christian principles. Look, I I was educated in in, in a fairly conservative uh, uh, seminary, right? And and I'm in a conservative denomination, right? In our churches. And and yeah, we're a little different than a lot of churches in our denomination. But but I, I keep hearing, you know, God and country. This thing, you know, our capitalism, our democracy is from, you know, biblical Marxism, socialism, communism, they're not as biblical, right? Then why has the Goliath of racism, sexism, ageism, spiritual death, all kind of sex trafficking and classism raised its head once again, and we find ourselves not only paralyzed, but in our own church spaces, these things are breeding and feeding and even has segregated most of us. Why? It's obvious. If there's a Goliath, it's obvious that there's been neglect because we have neglected God's call to justice, love, mercy, and sharing the good news. And y'all, just like the Israelites tell us, it's going to be hard. It's going to look difficult. It's scary. You're going to lose your comfort. You're going to have to leave your home. You're going to have to leave your lifestyle, join up, and then actually cross the valley and go to the other side and help your brothers and sisters. And why are we like this? Because, so you know what we did? We wanted to join the Goliath of the American dream.
0: And, and this is ever, all of
1: us of power and privilege and comfort and, and personal morality instead of in God's vision. That's what King Saul represented. Did you know what they liked about Saul? He was tall. So, God gave him something really tall Goliath. Goliath was a manifestation of what they truly wanted. And then one day we wake up, right? And we see a Goliath of all kinds of things. Around. Oh my gosh, the church is racist. Oh my gosh, the way I believe in true. We wake up one day and, and, and we realize, right? We get woke and see all kinds of stuff. Because as one of my favorite Christian singers, Keith Green put it, white guy with an afro, right? We are asleep in the light. That our Lord Jesus rose from the grave, but we can't even get out of bed. We can't get out of ourselves and our personal morality or out of the way of our sense of dismay and fear. As verse 11 says, fear about losing our morality, fear. We can't get out of our own way. And when I think about applying this to an incredible paralysis between each other as we face the obvious Goliath in this country and world of race, class, and ethnicity. And yes, y'all, Pastor Brown's focusing on race. Is all sermons going to be about race. Is all, you know, he's taken by the liberal agenda. Man, gone with that. If you think that, this ain't the church for you. And I'm going to believe the more God's work begins, you ain't going to find a church, many churches, where people ain't talking about this. So you know God's word, I'm preaching true exegetically, but the application today, y'all, is what we are facing today and what God has putting in our face. So right, you know, Goliath don't show up on every chapter of this book, but when he does, they have to deal with it. So here's our Goliath, right? The obvious Goliath in this country and world over race and class and ethnicity we're facing along with COVID-19 right now. I've heard it said by strong Christians. People have been walking with the Lord for years. Close friends to African-American, black folk. I can't even, I've heard them say, I can't even say Black Lives Matter. I won't let myself say it. And I won't go to a press protest if that statement is on shirts and on the background because it is too closely associated with BLM Inc. And they have all sorts of thinking and ways. They're Marxist and I can't be associated with them. And they have all those sexually different people with all, in all kind of lifestyles they seem to be advocating. You know what to describe you? You ain't standing for truth. You're like the Israelites, dismayed and greatly afraid. Paralyzed to do the right thing in fear that it might go wrong. Not for the people, or you might look wrong. Not for the people we are called to stand for and cross over in hell, but for ourselves in your little morals. We are so busy protecting our self-righteousness and promotion of our ideals and values. We are by sinful omission, letting Goliath grow up in people that we say we love out of the very same stuff we despise and fear because we want to protect the comfort of not being associated with that Marxist organization. We're afraid to cross the valley. In fear, we'll die in the middle. I heard a pastor try. Some of y'all saw this. He since apologized, but he tried to rename and recategorize white American privilege for believers as being white blessing. No. I mean, that's all I got to say, no. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. Sorry. No, dog. No. Right? The two are opposed to each other biblically. Privilege and blessing are on the opposite ends of gospel living, right? And selfish, worldly, carnal living. Let me explain what I mean. God said he blessed Abraham and the Israelites, right? It didn't mean he was giving them personal privilege. Privilege is having personal grip and power on your life. A blessing is God having grip and power and control over your life to use take and call all you are and all that he has given to you to use for his glory not your comfort in fact he told Abraham I'm gonna make you great now get up and go and leave your land and go to someplace you don't even know about with people who are crazy Right When they began to take the land, at one point, they did come into contact with giants early on with Joshua. And they said, hey, look, we went out to these dudes. We look like grasshoppers next to these people. What kind of blessing is that? What- it's not privilege. It's blessing. When you aren't the biggest thing on the block, Right? And you have to trust God, right? And in that Israel sinned and not going for the blessing instead of trying to live privilege and getting a tall leader. And they turned against God into worldly power and gain until it was too late. Y'all, I'm going in today a little bit. You know, I heard America's original sin was slavery. But before slavery, there were individuals, many, who said they were Christians, said they were Christians, who started the slave trade movement, who got the okay from the church, who engaged in, you know, we, don't, we like to call it slavery, let's go ahead and call it is human trafficking right? It just was an old version of it. They call it slavery. And it, it, slavery in, is in the Bible. So they try to use biblical language about slavery and servant when it was human trafficking of bodies, right? Back then, the, 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 let me tell you though, it was driven by something more than the humanity of someone else, right? It, 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 the, let me tell you what was going on. It started with the dismay and fear of what would happen to them and their stuff in their place if they stood for those who were being trafficked in the borders and and pushed across the borders of humanity and and out of that whole thing right we're we're, okay the, the sin of omission where we suppress the truth of God looking at someone black from Africa right oh just property, right? Where we suppress the truth of God. Romans 1, look at that. We like to use that for um, really making folk who struggle with sexual sin or or whatever, or their sexuality. Uh, We we use that Romans 1 to to really uh, convict them and talk about how they're they're, um, reprobate and all that kind of stuff. But do you know that the, the greater suppression that the, the core to that suppression that we see in Romans one, that we call people reprobate, is to look at a human being and take their humanity away. Right to see them, know they're human, and then make them an object of your lust and desire, or desire to make money. Right, that's reprobate. Let's call it what it is. The Southern Christian slaveholders and people who wrote books upon books, good theology books, and then wrote other books about how the black man needed the white man like the vine needed the trestle to crawl out the ground of dirt. Like a black man in the street. These are big time Southern Presbyterian theologians talking about how the black man uh, being free in the street is like letting your dog off a leash. That's reprobate. But we've affectionately called it a blind spot. We even justify it by saying that's how black folks found Jesus. We found Jesus and Goliath. Also, we could get what we wanted and out of it. Hear, hear this. Here, here's the big thing. Out of it grew american wealth and culture into a goliath of culture and lifestyle and power and prominence and privilege hear me that now is too big and too well protected to go against where our minds cannot process it where there is now a stronghold in our thinking and our heart and our theology it's a goliath we can apply this to so many things, right? I want to make sure y'all are staying with me, especially those who tired of Pastor Brown talking about race, Pastor Kim, Pastor Omari. Come on, y'all. Can we hear about the gospel? Okay. We can apply this to so many things. Um, and, and while the redemption of race and ethnicity is in the forefront right now, and while I'm talking about sin, Goliaths due to our neglect of God's grace are all over the place. Goliath in our marriages, Goliath for the unborn, and born Goliath of unbelief and faithfulness Goliath of human sexuality Goliath for sexism and trafficking of all kinds Goliath for classism Goliath all over the place but this is more just than just sin at work y'all as we move on but these this is about spiritually evil powers at work well the bible's trying to let us know that Goliath was no ordinary man how can I put it now you know I like marvel and i like uh what's the other one dc i like the movies you know but he was more like wonder woman than black widow y'all get it right he 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 was more like thanos than captain america y'all he was less like the hulk and more like thor pastor brown i don't watch those movies what do you mean What I mean is that what he has become and is was more than technique, skill, science, or biology. So, or or ingesting that hormone and GMO-filled food and milk from Walmart, right? But, But that Goliath, for lack of a better term, was a son of their gods, right? He was born out of and possessed by spiritual evil. The Israelites were dismayed and greatly afraid because they were facing and experiencing not just a big man, but a demigod. An earthly manifestation and institution of living out in the world, spiritual, satanic, and demonic evil. Why are evil things so dismaying and powerful and impenetrable in our world? Because satanic and evil forces have entered the door of our sin into and over individual institutions in this world and taken a position of power. You remember the garden? The serpent, Satan, in natural disguise, was seeking entrance and power. And Adam and Eve, as a human gatekeepers of this world, had to let him in. And they disobeyed in sin. And Satan, the Bible says, entered the domain of humankind and human institutions and human structure and, and like a virus, right? Like, like, a, like a parasite. And Goliath is a possessed and driven human vehicle of that. Listen how the Bible in the book of Revelation talks about Satan when he finally was captured and chained up by the Lord in the end. It says this. This is the great dragon, the ancient serpent, Garden of Eden, the one called devil and Satan, the Bible says. The one who led the whole earth astray, thrown out, and all his angels thrown out with him, the angels being demons, right? Thrown down to earth. Says this, then I heard a strong voice out of heaven saying, salvation and power are established. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah. Now hear this. This is the description. The accuser of our brothers and sisters is thrown out. The one who, hear me, accused them day and night before God. Accused, lied to them. Right? Led them astray. Look again at Goliath's tactics look at verse 8, what he does here. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Doesn't it sound like a, a revelation a little bit? Listen, why have you come out to draw up for battle? You know, when you look at the Garden of Eden, when Satan comes out, he always asks questions, right? <laughs> always asks questions to make you question. You know what the word dismay means here? When it says that they were dismayed and greatly afraid, it means that their mind was splintered, right? they were crushed they were falling apart right listen what he says he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why have you come out to draw up for battle like what you doing here you know you're gonna lose right why'd y'all even show up right am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul choose a what man right? Okay, keep that in mind. For yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. They lied later. They, when David does beat him, they don't become their servants. Okay, moving on. That if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man, y'all heard that word, man, this that we may fight together. In other words, bring somebody equal in manhood to me. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, here we go. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Again, the word dismays means splintering. They start to question. His words, remember the the terms about Satan, accused their faith in God as silly and it made them spiritually shaken on the inside and paralyzed to act and trust God in ways on the outside. Satan had lied and convinced the Israelites that they were stuck in, made and born to be slaves and servants of Philistines, that they were not blessed but oppressed and that God was not with them, that God had pumped out and pumped and tricked them. You know why certain issues in our world, in particular, these struggles and questions with the value of black lives and white supremacy, what we are dealing with in this particular, in this country right now are so tricky? Because we have a spiritual adversary, y'all who has spoken to and twisted and confused our souls and minds with lies and half-truths and temptations, speaking in and through some of the most powerful systems and people in the world. We have a satanic, demonic opponent to our humanity, to our worth, and to our mission to bring salvation and in that grace and justice and peace and love as believers to the world. Slavery, trafficking of all types, murder of the unborn and born, Jim Crow, redlining, mistreatment of people in different places in their sexual journey than we are, withholding of rights of others, profiling, hatred of the gospel and gospel living, the destruction of, and death that went along with destroying. I, I just was reading more on these stories. Man, y'all, I'm, ha- I, I'm just swimming with information now. I've heard about uh, how many cities of black middle-class businesses and residential communities were burned were destroyed, Tulsa, Wilmington, Durham, even here in Charlotte, right, uh, in Brooklyn, right, back in the Jim Crow era, where in Wilmington, you know, back after, uh, after slavery was over in Reconstruction, black bodies were burned, I mean, black businesses were burned and then bodies thrown into and drowned in the river because black people were moving too fast and too slow at the same time, right up the street. And you know why we don't know about it? Because the newspaper said it was black rioting that caused it. Now we got all kinds of deaths and distrust and result, unbalanced incarceration, frustration, depression, and dismay of people of color. Let me tell you what that stuff is Satanic. Racism is demonic. It questions like, 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 um, like Goliath. It questions your manhood, right? And it's caused us to have a personality disorder as a people, as people, as believers, where we are turned against each other. We can't trust each other and we fight and fuss and defend and backbite and backguard and and talk more than we listen. We look confused in our mission to bring justice and mercy and love. And in the meantime, Satan is freely and powerfully bringing oppression and pain and suffering and feelings of inferiority to not just defy the Lord, but as part of defying the Lord like Goliath does in sending and challenging, send out who? A man. He defies and causes them to question their manhood. Their humanity, and he qualifies it this way. You ready, y'all? If I can overpower you, you are simply worthy to be a slave. If I can overpower you, you're a third class citizen. You're relegated to less than manhood. Sound familiar? if we can colonize you, if we can come into your country with weapons, if we can take your land, Native American, if we can have enough boats to ship you, if you don't have any guns, the Israelites didn't have no weapons, you're not a man like me. If we can economically destroy you, if we can socially suffocate you, if we have the power Because we have the power, you're not a man. That's the definition of humanity. If you can't beat me in my battle the way I want to fight, that's satanic. That's demonic. That thinking is demonic. Think about what pulling the scab, the the scabs he was pulling off. And it happens every day sometimes in my life. And I just didn't realize it. The microaggressions people call it. You know what he says to them? We miss this because I think we want to so make the Israelites sort of like American Christianity. (laughs) But it ain't. They were slaves in Egypt. Right, For him to say, if you don't beat me, you'll be slaves is a call upon a broken history of slavery. This happens all the time. It it lives in them that they were slaves. And for the Philistine to say, y'all going to be slaves again, you'll never be any better. God has forgotten you. It's satanic. I know personally, some of you think that this whole Christianity, evangelical Christianity, this whole multi-ethnic church thing at Christ Central Experiment is a failure because of the lack of care and concern and then response you may received, and fighting against and with, within each other and just a plain out fear and ignorance surfacing in this, this church family as Goliath shows himself and speaks. And some of us are like, I'm, like, I'm done not just with church and this whole multi-ethnic thing, but some of us saying, I'm historically done. I'm done with historical reform, Christianity and Christianity in general. I have to start all over in my spiritual journey that this Jesus thing ain't real because all I hear is lies about myself. Kelly and I, we we sat up in bed more than one occasion the last few weeks when things settled down. You know how you get in your bed and things settle down and the whole day kind of falls on you? We just sitting there in dismay, asking not only why God and how long God, but where is God? Is there a God who cares about this? It's hard to hear you. This is a satanic attack on your faith that has grown. To something too big for the church and our personal faith to handle. Now, understand, no one in Israel was going to beat Goliath. That's what the text is saying. Nobody can beat him. Any one of those guys go out there, they're about to get killed. It's just, it's a given. Right? And and, and, and and young David, right, comes to the battlefront to bring his brother's lunch and is like, What does the person who gets, beats Goliath get? I mean, y'all all acting scared? Well, well, don't don't you what's the prize? Why, why ain't y'all running out there? And verse 24 tells us that you get to marry Saul's daughter, you get some free from tax land right? So you get to become a celebrity immediately. You become part of a royal family immediately. You get the royal treatment immediately. You get honor and glory and power and all kinds of stuff. You know what they did? Give us their lunch. <laughs> there was nothing in them or they could, that they could muster in and of themselves. Do y'all see that? Not not entry into privilege through marrying Saul's daughter. No amount of money. No amount of human effort. Y'all could break this bondage or throw off this oppression. They were stuck and paralyzed by sin and Satan and a powerful world. I say this because we're waiting. Hear me now, please. I I know I'm preaching long, but just hear me. I say this because if we are waiting for the right thing to convince or motivate us or them for things to change, we are in trouble. Uh Uh-oh. What? Yes. That is bad news, right? Mama's lunch (laughs) that David brought him. Then I offered to anyone who could go and beat Goliath. Look, there is no, what am I saying? There is no amount of books. And I've recommended a lot of books. Or, 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 or enough getting the knowledge or understanding whiteness and blackness and wear where, and where Black Lives Matter shirt and march and rally, even though I affirm that and have participated in the same, or, and I think you should, or even because of beauty of diversity. I go to a diverse church in Christ Central. Right? I love it. Black people and everybody together, not enough for you to champion. It's not enough for you to champion change, not only in the world, but most so in your own and others' heart. It's not enough. But David comes from nowhere anyone could have made up or thought of. And we'll see this next week. But with his privately being chosen by God, not any people, we know that David is a champion of salvation. We'll we'll come through him, but hear me, through him, but from God. So here's the bad news. We don't have it with us or in us to bring salvation. From all we fear and suffer historically and are broken by. So therefore, listen. We can't and we shouldn't wait for the world to finally get it. (laughs) Or finally come and save ourselves of guilt and fear and and anger. God's salvation doesn't work like that. The gospel does not work with us championing our own cause because we got enough motivation from the world. Because salvation does not belong to us. Salvation doesn't come from us. Salvation is not in us. Salvation belongs and come from God alone. Hear me, despite sin and Satan's oppression and despite our failures and self-righteousness. I've heard some African-Americans of safe spaces talk at our church and they don't have much hope that it will change. They're like, okay, we get through this next year it'll be somebody else getting shot and more defensiveness. And because it has happened again and changing the names of buildings and defunding police departments and reforming them and protests would just be an empty pursuit and, and, and you know what? These folk are right. <laughs> if the heart of people are not changed as they change the policy if their hearts aren't in the grip of God's grace. I've gotten to many arguments about the renaming of buildings. And this is what I hear. Renaming the buildings, taking down the Confederate flag, taking down the statues won't be enough. They will want more. It won't be enough, that's just the beginning. If you give them a building change, they're gonna want more, right? They're gonna wanna rename this university. They're gonna wanna do this. What are they gonna want reparations, right? Guess what? You are correct. The oppressed want and need more. The building change, you're right. It's just the beginning you don't get a cookie for that it's just the beginning your fears are right renaming the buildings and taking down statues is a minimal right act no we coming for more but what we want is redeemed ethnic equality which means we want healing from the past, in the present, and hope for the future. I don't know about you, but as a black man, I am hungry for more than any one political party can give me. It is not enough to fix all the ways historical institutional racism has damaged me. I'd love to get a big fat restoration check. And this is not letting any of us off the hook. Pastor Brown said, you know, it's not enough. They they need more than than what we can do. And so that means we shouldn't do it. Nah, man, don't. Now, if you're hearing that, you, you know you're just looking for a way out. What I'm saying is join, fall, or repent, or get out of the way of God's salvation. Because only God can do and has done what God has done is enough. Discussion on what we do with whatever issue in our world, and particularly lately about race and ethnicity, has been so exhausting. And I heard uh, the author, Ibram Kendi, describe that racism can only be defeated if we become anti-racist. Oh Lord, I thought just not being racist was enough. No, (laughs) anti-racist, to not just standing against, but advancing against what is hurting us, right? Look. Good information, Candy. Love that dude. Love his books. I recommend his books and interviews, but enlightenment has never been enough. Salvation is not in these books. Sure, God will use this. And I do agree. He uses kind of like a splint, like a cast on our broken. He'll break our bone, right? He'll break our hearts by us reading this stuff. And then, you know, the information helps it grow straight, right? Like our hearts begin to straighten out, right? But, and, and it gives us therapeutic, like, almost like, therapy for our souls right to steps to take but only a redeemer do y'all hear me only a redeemer sent from the front to the front lines right in, in, in where we are stuck in the dark place of our dismay and fear to personally like one of us as hum- to, hum- ch- to champion our humanity to conquer our inner and outer demons that are too big for us for salvation and redemption that's the only thing that's going to save us not human performance not works not a track record but by grace And in that, we will experience hope between you and me. And no, this is not about getting it right and being perfect, but about having a perfect Savior and salvation between you and me. I could, like the Israelites, offer you all the worldly knowledge and all the right motivations. It's all on Google. It's all in Amazon.com. You can find out. You don't need me to explain it to you. But we will only stay armed for battle with our knowledge. But we'll never really fight and live and be broken for love, mercy, and justice. That's why as a black man, my greatest hope is that salvation does not belong to me and you getting it. But about God coming to get and save you and me. I'm not trusting and believing my convincing and pleading and anyone being woke enough can ultimately save me, restore my dignity and change things. Being woke and getting, let let me say this, being woke, getting it. Oh, wow. There's white supremacy. Oh, wow. There was institutional racism. Oh, wow. Right? That's a consolation to being saved right that's a that's a a side effect a direct effect of being saved from a salvation that comes from God so if you don't see these things you know what you need to say not give me more books but Lord save me save me am I reprobate am I outside your kingdom Because I can't see this. It is clearly evil and satanic and sinful. Why am I not in? Why can't I think straight? Why am I defensive? Not, hey, give me another book, Pastor Brown. But Lord, I come on my knees today because I need to be saved somewhere deep. Because I'm stuck. You know, Truth's Table had a day of prayer on Friday for Juneteenth. I mean, these are some of the smartest theologians out there. These black women could have sat of the faith, could give us, had a show, download all kind of information. But, you know, they were right in having a full day of prayer on Juneteenth. Because, you know, what we need salvation, not information. We need to lose control. Not get more control because we awoke or we understand it. We don't need another march. You know, yes, we do. Actually, we need more marches. Let me take that back. But you need more than a march. You need the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. (laughs) To conquer the Goliath right here. Save me, Lord. You know, Pastor Alex Shipman, I'm in with this, said, you know, when we do all the webinars, good stuff. Alex Shipman, who's on the staff of, of African American Ministries for our denomination, PCA, says this, said this. We obviously have jumped lamenting, mourning, and repenting, and praying for our hard hearts to be saved. And gone straight to the books. Why, are, why is everybody calling me, to asking me what to do? Because they still want to defeat even the sins of racism with another Goliath. Instead of bending the knee, breaking the life, laying it all before him. With Jesus. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting part in this story. It's easy to miss. It said, Saul and the Israelites were gathered. Where's Samuel? Where's the prophet of God? Where's the one who could do a sacrifice to God? Where's Repentance. Where's crying out to God? Here's the grace of the story. They showed up to fight Goliath without God's grace, not even acknowledging it. Not, no Samuel, no sacrifices, no, I don't even see the Ark of the Covenant right now. God was so good. He ordained privately and sent a savior for them. He didn't want them to be without the blessing so badly that he didn't let the Philistines kill them. He sent David to save them. That's the gospel. That's God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. It's too big for us. My pain is too big. The historical wounds are too great. Satan is powerful. Those evil forces I can't handle. Lord, salvation belongs to you. Not with our enlightenment. Not with black people sitting down and telling us everything that's wrong. Not in our absolution that we've done all the right things. But in us getting saved (laughs) by you. Believers being sanctified by you. Lord, I pray for us African-Americans. I pray for us Asians. I pray for our Native Americans. I pray for Hispanic brothers and sisters, Lord. And whoever else I may have missed in my ignorance. Save us. We all got all kind of mixed up, messed up knots of Goliaths inside of us that we can't shake. We don't even know how to act right. We don't know what to do. So come Lord Jesus and deliver us from broken senses worth, from inferiority complexes from ways that's affected our families to the health issues that happen as a result, to the mental illness that just digs in year after year and generation after generation, Lord. Not only mental illness toward African Americans who suffer oppression, but mental illness to those who've lived in privilege who think they're right to have it in the way they do. The mental illness of the American dream becoming a nightmare, Lord. Mental illness! Deliver our hearts so we can begin to be healed. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're now going to confess our sins. It's our way of asking Jesus to save us. And when I say save, people are like, wait, I'm already saved. Once saved, always saved. Okay, y'all, salvation is a term that applies to justification, which means, most of us mean we say we accept Christ, sanctification and glorification, right? Right. When I say you need to be saved, some of us, we, you know, our view on these things may actually say we don't know Jesus. That's fine. Come to Christ. Our view on these things may say we don't know God's grace like we should. We know the word, but we don't know his grace. We don't realize the, the, the kind of blessing it is to have and be who we are. And so we're oppressive to others and to ourselves and in the knowledge of God. You need to be saved from that. And then those of us who are even going through sanctification, Lord, we are waiting for the day when he will crack the sky and call us home and he will, in a righteous manner, burn up everything that ain't like him and he will build a new heaven And a new earth, and none of that old stuff that had us shackled or were aggressive or confused us will be there. I'm looking forward to that day. Save us, Lord. We need a Savior.